The text for this morning's sermon comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to chapter 10, verse 15. We're bridging the chapter break this morning with our sermon text. There is a transition that takes place here as Jesus prepares His disciples to send them out into the fields of, of harvest. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 uh, to 10, verse 15. This is God's Word. Hear it. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And He called to Him His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belt. No bag for your journey, nor two, tunic, two, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, again, we thank You for Your Word. But Lord, Your Word oftentimes puts fear and trembling in our hearts. And this morning, Lord, we're faced with a passage. A passage which powerfully speaks to the duty You've called each of us to. The duty, Lord, to proclaim the Gospel. The duty of evangelism. But also, Lord, we are reminded of how grave the judgment will be on those who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who reject the message of salvation in Christ alone. What a terrible thing this is, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, even as we work our way through this passage, that You would send out laborers into the harvest. That You would use us. And that we, O Lord, would glorify Your name by serving You in the fields. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, it is possible uh, that some of you last week, uh, you might have seen an article in the, the Sunday paper, an article about uh, this, uh, this magnificent Stradivarius violin, which is on loan to the Fort Worth Symphony. Now, some of you uh, are uh, uh, musicians, some of you play stringed intru- instruments. I am neither a mu- musician uh, uh, or a player of stringed instruments. I wish I were. But I read this article with, with great interest. It was a fascinating article. This violin has been on loan now to the Fort Worth Symphony for 30 years. There was a couple in Fort Worth who purchased this violin in 1980 uh, with the specific of, of making sure that it was played. Many of these instruments, these fine instruments, are purchased and they're tucked away. They're put in a museum. They're locked in a vault, never to be used. But this couple had a desire to make sure that this instrument was heard publicly. Now, many of you are aware that violins that were made by Antonio Stradivari are considered to be among the finest ever made. This man was working. He was a, he was a fine craftsman, and he was working toward the end of the 16th century, the beginning of the, the 17th century. Uh, and his violins, particularly the ones that were made from 1700 to 1720, can be worth several million dollars. They are masterpieces of the craft. And because of this extreme, extreme view, can, the owners, sometimes they just want to tuck these things away. They don't want anyone to touch them. They don't want to run the risk that this, this violin would be uh, damaged much less destroy. Now it is estimated that the Fort Worth Symphony's Stradivarius, which was built in 1710 in in the middle of the golden period of Stradivari, it's estimated that it is worth $4 million to $8 million today. But even though it's purchased, it is only ever played by one person, the concertmaster of the Fort Worth Symphony. And this concert master touches this violin as little as possible. There are protective shields on the violin. There's a, a fear that the, the oils from his hand, from his chin, will damage the finish of this, this fine instrument. And this violin is stored in a vault when it is not in use, and it is never played out of doors. Well, even estimating the value of this instrument at $4 million to $8 million doesn't quite capture this profound respect that you see uh, both the owners, the symphony, the concertmaster, the profound respect, almost, uh, almost religious awe that they have for this instrument. It just doesn't capture it. Well, in a similar way, the Lord has given a great and precious gift to the world. And he has entrusted this priceless treasure into the care of the church. But what is this treasure that the Lord has given to us? This treasure is the gospel. This treasure is the pearl of great price. It is the gospel that salvation comes in Christ Jesus alone. And this treasure is of far greater value. This Stradivarius in Fort Worth or any Stradivarius. Far greater value. But God does not intend for this treasure to be locked up in a vault. And neither does He restrict the handling of this gospel to Himself alone. Jesus commissioned His disciples to go out and take this inestimable price to the lost and the afflicted. He commanded His disciples to take it to those 
were helpless and harassed. Well, the spreading of the gospel is not the work of one person or even a select few. It is the duty of all of Christ's disciples to evangelize. It is your duty. It is my duty to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous life. This is the duty of every believer to spread the good news that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. God calls each of us to share His excellencies, His precious gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. As we work our way through this passage, I would ask you to think uh, on this. Think this thought. Out of compassion for the lost, Jesus sends us to proclaim the precious gospel of the kingdom to those who are harassed and helpless. Out of compassion for the lost, Jesus sends us to proclaim the precious gospel of the kingdom to those who are harassed and helpless. Well, to aid us as we work through this passage, I've divided it into three sections. Verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, which I've titled Compassion. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, Authority. And then verses 5 to 15, the Word. Again, compassion, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Authority, chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. And the Word, verses 5 to 15. Well, let's look at these first set of verses. Verses uh, 35 to 38 of chapter 9. Now, you'll remember that in last week's passage, all you have to do is look down in your Bibles. Last, Last week's passage ended how? It ended with the Pharisee condemning Jesus using this blasphemous statement that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons. How does Jesus respond here? Does He say anything? He will have words to say later on in Matthew's Gospel when they accuse Him of this. But here, He simply responds by going out and doing the very things uh, that He has been doing all along. His response, in effect, is found in verse 35, which said, He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. In the face of stern criticism, Jesus just keeps on doing what He's been doing all along. He does not retaliate. But in His action, He shows them under whose authority He works. He continues faithfully to minister to and serve those who are under the dominion of the prince of demons. He does not work by that power. Well, verse 35 also sets the stage for Jesus is about next chapter. Jesus is on the verge of commissioning His disciples to carry out the same teaching, the same preaching, the same healing ministry that He's been doing all along. But you see, Jesus is not handing over the reins, is He? We find that Jesus goes and continues to preach Himself. Even as He sends out His apostles, He continues to preach. Jesus here is simply multiplying His forces. He's creating an army of disciples, starting with the twelve, and He's sending them out into the world. And what He is doing here is setting the stage for for the church for the rest of its history. With these twelve, the commissioning of the apostles, He's setting the stage for what you and I must continue to do according to the commandments of the Lord. 
Well, we see that the crowds continue to come and they, they find Jesus. How does he treat them? Rather than resenting the crowds, rather than seeing them as, as cramping his style, rather than seeing them as, as restricting what he is able to do, his ministry to his disciples, his ministry to this uh, small ring of apostles, Jesus reacted quite differently. Verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, these people who keep following him, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the, the notion of crowds as, uh, as being like... It has stuck, hasn't it? We continue to think of this crowd mentality, this sheep mentality. Uh, when we see a crowd of people following a, a particular leader, we, uh, sometimes you'll hear the, uh, the phrase used, they're, they're sheeple. And while it's an accurate term, it is not a compassionate term. It is used uh, derisively of people who follow blindly after someone. What Jesus understood about human nature is true. We are a lot like sheep. We follow blindly. We need good and faithful leaders. By nature, we are looking for someone to follow. And often when people are in, in this position of authority, when people are in a position where they've got followers they often will be tempted. They will give in to exploit that group. But Jesus is not tempted in this way. Jesus does not do this. He doesn't see masses following around as an opportunity to exploit. Jesus understands that these people were harassed and helpless. And He had compassion on them. What is this compassion? And why is it that Jesus has compassion on them? He understands that our most basic problem is not poor leadership. He understands that our most basic problem is that we follow people like sheep. He understands that our most basic problem is that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have turned everyone to his own way, as Isaiah 53 says. And Jesus understands that there is only one solution to that problem. Jesus understands that the most Uh, the, the solution to this most basic problem that we have is this, that the Lord will lay on Him the iniquity of us all. Again, Isaiah chapter 53. That is the problem and that is the answer that we have been given. And Jesus knows this. Well, then in verse 37, Jesus said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, Jesus sees many people in great need. They have great needs, tremendous needs. They come to Jesus constantly with their needs. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's preaching the gospel. But their need is compounded by the fact that their so-called shepherds, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those religious people of the day, they have been unfaithful. And Jesus says there are few true laborers. There are few who truly care about these people. But what does Jesus call His disciples to do about it? He commands them to pray. Verse 38 says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. This is Jesus' first response. 
happen, but his first action is to call his disciples to pray for these people. And to pray that the Lord send out faithful shepherds. To send out faithful laborers. And you see, Jesus here is commanding his disciples to pray for precisely what Jesus knows he's going to do. Jesus knows that in a matter of verses, he's going to command these very men that he's telling to pray to go out and to labor, to harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. It is his harvest into which he sends his laborers. The work of proclaiming the gospel, the work of evangelism, the work of simply to a co-worker or a neighbor, all of this takes place in the field of the Lord's harvest. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would be moved with compassion for the multitudes of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray earnestly that God would send out laborers to work in His fields. And pray that the Lord would show you that wherever He has placed you, whatever He has called you to do in this life, whether you are are a homemaker, whether you work out uh, with your hands, whether you work in an office building, whether you are an elder or just a regular old person in the pews, pray that the Lord would show you that you are laboring in His field of harvest. This is how the Lord multiplies His forces. He calls each of us to be His disciples and to share the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. Let's look now at verses 1 to 4 of chapter 10. Authority. As soon as Jesus tells His disciples to pray that the Lord would send out laborers, 10 verse 1 says, And He called them... He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now there were many people who were following Jesus at this time. There were many disciples of Jesus at this time. But he called that smaller group, that smaller group of men who are commonly known as the twelve. And in verses 2-4, to four, Matthew lists these twelve by name. He lays it out there. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. Think about these men. Think about what you know about these men already. We don't know everything about all of them, and some of them we haven't heard anything about. But the ones who you have seen already in Matthew's Gospel, think about who they are. They would be considered uh, rabble by Uh, the folks of that day. They would be considered rabble by uh, us today. It is doubtful that any of these men would be chosen to lead any organization today. They would not be let anywhere near the Fort Worth Symphony's Stradivarius. They're not going to be allowed to touch anything of great value. They're regarded as the lowest of the low, fishermen, tax collectors. And yet Jesus calls these men, these twelve, to be His apostles. They were an unlikely bunch as far as their mission was concerned. But these are the men the Lord commissioned and ordained to carry out the precious gospel to Israel. And yet, as God proves throughout Scripture, it is His mission 
He's sending them on a mission, but it's His mission. The battle truly belongs to the Lord. The unlikelihood of these men proved that they were not responsible for the results of their labors. They could not take credit for anything that happened that was of benefit to the kingdom. And that is because the authority that they had been given, it was not based in themselves. They had no authority in and of themselves. The apostles' sole authority was from Jesus Christ. And verse 1 says that He called them and gave them that authority. Now the word here, the word in verse 1 that's used for authority, it's the same word Jesus uses back in chapter 9, verse 6, when He tells the Pharisees, of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then He said to the paralytic, rise, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. It's the same word. Now Jesus does not give the, the apostles the authority. His authority alone. But it is an authority of a similar nature that Jesus grants to these apostles. The authority that they have been granted is the authority of an ambassador. And J.I. Packer in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, gives a very helpful uh, 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 illustration of, of, of the ambassador. He says, An ambassador speaks not in his own name, but on behalf of the ruler whose deputy he is. And his whole duty and responsibility is to interpret that ruler's mind faithfully to those to whom he has been sent. This is the work of an ambassador. Ambassadors don't go out spouting off uh, what's on their own mind. They don't go out spouting off their own thoughts. There, there's a representative. They speak what is in the mind of their ruler. Christ's disciples are ambassadors for Christ. Their authority granted to them by Christ. It is derivative. They can do nothing of their own power or strength. But the authority Jesus has granted them is nothing to laugh at. It's nothing to be snide about. Jesus has given them authority over demons. He's given them authority to heal diseases and afflictions. And the disciples also have authority to preach the good news as we find out further down in verse 7. In fact, preaching. Preaching was their primary task. The parallel passage in Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 6 says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Preaching is the primary task for which the disciples have been sent. But this, this authority is not limited to the apostles. It extends to every believer. Again, Packer says, All God's people are sent to do as the Philippians did and shine as light in the world, holding forth the word of life. Every Christian, therefore, has a God-given obligation to make known the gospel of Christ. And every Christian who declares the gospel message to any fellow man does so as Christ's ambassador and representative according to the terms of His God-given commission. We do not go out on our own authority. We do not make up words to be said. We speak what Christ has given us to speak. We represent by God to do this. God has called each of us to labor in the field of His harvest. Now the idea of evangelism may make some of you apprehensive. You may feel like you are unworthy and incapable of sharing your faith with someone else. And you're right. You are unworthy. 
You are incapable. But in this, you are no different than these 12 apostles. They were just as unlikely as you are. And this should give you a certain amount of hope, a certain amount of reassurance. If Jesus is going to call these men, He can call you. And if Jesus can work through these men, He can work through you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-27, to 27, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were, were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In your and my weakness and inability, in our ineptitude even, God is proven to be strong. God's power is on full display. And this too, this this use of, of broken instruments is a testimony to those who do not believe. God gives every believer the authority and the ability to speak words of life to those who are lost and wandering. These words, the good news of salvation in Christ, proclaim the greatest treasure that God has ever given to mankind. And He has entrusted this good news into your and my care. He trusts you with it. He trusts you with this pearl of great price. And He expects you to use it. Let's look now at verses 5 to 15, the Word. Jesus called His disciples. He gave them authority, but He also gave them instructions for carrying out their ministry. The, The apostles to carry out their mission in the manner that Jesus tells them. Again, they are ambassadors. They're representatives. They're not out there on their own authority. And He tells them in verses 5 and 6, Do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but minister only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is not time for the Gentile mission. This will not take place until uh, fully until after Jesus has ascended into heaven when He calls the Apostle Paul, when He uses Barnabas, or excuse me, Barabbas, Barnabas uh, with Paul to go out and to minister. There's a logical order to Jesus' ministry. First to Israel. And then after that, it radiates out to the Gentiles. Well, then in verse 7, he says something that's very interesting here. He says, he places the priority on the preaching of the Word. He says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you go out, proclaim this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he says this, when he places the priority on preaching, he also gives them the content of what they are to say. They're not to make it up as they go along. He tells them what to proclaim, and it is exactly what Jesus has been proclaiming all along. This is the very beginning of His earthly ministry. The primacy of the Word is emphasized at the very end of this passage. Skip down to verse 14, which says, And if any of you, excuse me, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. If the people of a town do not want to receive my ambassadors, Jesus says, or if they do not want to hear my message of salvation, do not let even the dust, their dust, cling to your feet. Shake it off. This is exactly what... City, in Acts chapter 13, verse 50 to 51, we read that the Jews were stirring up persecution against them. And when Paul and Barnabas left, 
They shook the dust off their feet against those people as a testament to what they had done. In verse 15 of our passage, Jesus' words are surprising. He says, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town, than for that town which rejects you, which rejects me and my message. More bearable than Sodom and Gomorrah? Than that town? When people reject the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, they will face a more strict judgment than Sodom or Gomorrah. This tells you how important the proclamation of the gospel is to God. It is of utmost importance. The healing, the casting out of uh, demons, that is incidental to the work of proclaiming the gospel. And it's after commanding them in verse 7 to preach that Jesus says there, He's sending them out. He tells them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Things that up to this point only Jesus has been able to do. And then he says at the end of that verse, because Jesus freely gave them authority, they are not to receive payment for exercising that authority. The authority has been freely given. They are not to receive recompense for it. And in fact, verses 9 to 11, they make clear that they are to rely completely upon God's providence for their welfare. They're not to take uh, a money belt. They're not to take uh, bags. They're not to make provision for themselves. The Lord God will make provisions for them. Like birds of the air, like lilies of the field, God will give the apostles all that they need. He will provide for their welfare. And He will use His people to do this. He uses those who are worthy, as he says, as Jesus says in verse 11. Those who are worthy will take care of the apostles. Now, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by those who are worthy? Well, unlike those who Jesus describes in verse 14, the worthy are receptive. They're receptive both to the apostles themselves and they're receptive to the gospel that they preach. And so if the apostle enters the house and they're warmly received then they stay with them. And if they're not, then they leave. And they shake their dust off their feet. Verses 12 to 13 may sound a little strange to modern ears, but Jesus here is simply talking about the, the apostles pronouncing a blessing upon a household. And Jesus here is referring to the common Old Testament greeting, Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. This is the... Uh, where our common greetings today come from. It's, a, it's, it's ancient custom. But for the believer, for the apostle, for the disciple of Christ, it has a deeper meaning. Peace be upon you. This is a blessing that can come only from the Lord. And if it is not received, they are to go elsewhere. They are not, as Jesus has said earlier, to cast their pearl before swine. If the household is receptive to the apostles, they are to pronounce a thing of peace. But if they refuse to receive the apostles, not wanting to hear the good news of salvation, the disciples are not to bless them. They're not to receive that blessing. They must instead depart from that house. They must instead shake the dust from their feet. That household has brought God's judgment upon itself. 
they have rejected the good news of Christ. Well, it is very difficult for us to believe that God would entrust the gospel, that He would entrust the pearl of a great price, that, that most precious, priceless treasure to weak and foolish human beings like you and me. It would be like the Fort Worth Symphony making their Stradivarius available for any and every violinist, properly trained or not. Come up onto the stage, play this. There are distinctions within, the, within Christ's body. We each have our own duty within the church. But every one of us is well qualified. Every one of us is commissioned and commanded to talk about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Jesus says later on in chapter 10 that He, the Spirit, will give them the words to say. But they don't need to worry. Each of you is qualified to do this because of what Christ Jesus has done for you and because of the Spirit who lives in your hearts. You have this ability. So pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out His laborers into His harvest. Pray that the Lord would give you compassion where you have none for those teeming masses of people. Pray that the Lord, by His Spirit, would give you the words to speak so that you would know how to talk to a person, how to share your faith, how to speak words to those in need. And after you pray this, you need to be ready for action. Because the Lord, just as He has called His apostles here, He will call you to carry out the ministry in that field where He has placed you. He will use you as laborers in His harvest. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, O Lord, that You enable, You allow us, Lord, this privilege of sharing the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to believe this and to relish in it and to desire it, O Lord. And help us, Father, to have the words to speak. Give us the words of life, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.